Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. My name is Chris Bowne, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined this week on the podcast by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. Each week we tend to look at three stories that have caught our eye, but this week we've perhaps got something slightly different because we've been wading through a whole raft of second quarter results from the big hotel groups and um, they've been a bit different from usual. Most quarters, uh, the CEOs will be telling us about the rev power being up or down a little bit and looking forward to the next quarter and predicting how much the rev power might be up or down in the next quarter. Um, but what's happened looking back at the second quarter for most of these big groups is they've had probably the worst performing quarter of their lives, of their corporate lives, um, with revenues falling off a cliff due to the coronavirus lockdown. So. Um, We've had some slightly different reporting, some slightly different uh, information fed through about how things are looking. And what we've done um, at Hotel Analyst is we've split out for our subscribers um, some key trends that uh, we've we've teased out from the, uh, the the comments, the prepared comments, but also the, ans- the, the answers the CEOs give to the uh, analysts they speak to uh, when they're being drilled on the results. And so the first of the themes we're looking at and going to be talking about this morning is the seismic shifts in the broader property and real estate space and where there might be opportunities. Um, so hotels know they've had a dreadful time because of lockdown. Um, offices also have had a terrible time because of lockdown and so have retail. Uh, in fact the only place that's been doing really well perhaps is industrial where we've all been ordering online and the Amazon sheds have been humming with, with worker bees pulling our orders. Um, so there's a variety of, of real estate investors in, in different parts of the uh, of the stack and they've been giving us their thoughts on when and how things are going to come back and uh, Andrew you see some some distinct differences in in people's predictions which may be quite interesting yeah well I, I guess it's a contradiction at the heart of this first is the awful pain that everybody's experiencing but ironically is also giving opportunity um for some real gain and uh, the encapsulated the, the, the most i think by the private equity firms not surprisingly as these tend to be the players that swoop on the the troubled um portfolios and um they're not really um talking about hospitality as such um right now they are really still focused even the private equity they're focused on non-hospitality and certainly non-retail as well um where they're focused uh as you've already mentioned things like logistics so the sheds piece but they're also stuff like um, colony capitals made a big play about its digitization piece in terms of going for digital property so the data centers telecom towers for mobile phones that kind of jazz so they're all healthcare is another um, buzz one um but um, so if you look at them, one of the ones I, I, I really focused on is Blackstone, probably the, the most high profile of the private equity players in, in the hospitality sector. And um, they're not, unlike Colony, saying we're never going near hospitality. Um, they're simply saying we're going to be cautious about it. it. It's a difficult area, but they do believe there's going to be opportunity down the track. What's interesting in their perspective, and this is um, the chief operating officer John Gray speaking specifically um, but what he's saying opportunities will emerge it's just hard to say how long it's going to they're going to take to emerge but what 
Blackstone does have is 156 billion of dry powder. Now, not all of that's heading anywhere near hospitality, certainly, or in even real estate, but they've got billions that they can chuck the way of real of hospitality real estate as and when they think the the timing is right it's a tricky one because what we're we're certainly seeing on the ground um our asset prices not reflecting the horrible reality that's out there we haven't seen a, a real shift yet i suspect that's going to be coming um and i think it's probably going to take until we get the um the real manifestation of the economic challenges that lie ahead which we haven't really seen yet thanks to furlough um, and so forth and the, the huge government intervention but you know it, it, it is coming and it, we're going to see um, I mean the depth of the pain is so severe that you know there's potential for very strong um, gains but also very fundamental changes. Next we're going to talk about uh, the pandemic trends around service and consolidation in the marketplace so one of the things the big hotel groups have been having to do is to focus on costs, cutting costs and improving efficiency uh, and some of that is going to feed through um, they say not just into their results uh, in the coming quarters but I think we're also expecting to see some uh, quite substantial changes to the way the different brands the hotels operate include such things as room service, um, cleaning and those kind of things and there are you know those those changes are coming uh, well, for, for the, chain, the, the cleaning, for example, is being forced upon them by um, the whole issue of coronavirus. Uh, but they're also looking at ways they can turn these forced changes to their advantage uh, to save money, improve their, their margins. Um, and then the other issue, of course, is what happens next for those companies that are struggling a bit, bit worse than others. And one of the things we saw in the last quarter was how some seem to be have performed a little better than others depending on where they have market presence um, around the globe. Andrew are you, are you expecting to see the uh, a, a substantial re redefinition of brands? I, I think what we will see is consolidation I think um, um, the, the, I think that the, there is this perception that somehow we have too many hotel brands I think we're going to see even more actually ironically <laughs> um, maybe not created in the next couple of years but certainly thereafter we'll continue to see uh, brand proliferation what we will see consolidating however is is the ownership of brands and we've already seen with the Starwood Marriott deal the big five turned to the big four and uh, obviously you know the, the rumors we've got this week that the big four are perhaps going to become the big three with uh, reports of a merger between um, intercontinental and Accor. Um, this is a big deal um, and it, it actually makes a lot of sense I think um, how you know it was it's based on a report in Le Figaro in Paris how much legs this has we'll, we'll wait and see but it, I, I actually think it that it, it makes a, um, a, a you know it, the prospect for it is is ought to be good um because both companies need each other accor needs ihg in north america accor has hardly any presence in the world's most important hotel market it it needs and ihg is a scale player there um, and in particular it's a scale player in what it calls the mainstream but that's economy and um and mid-scale so sort of between the one to three star range of of properties and that's that's where they want to that's where they want to play um it, it, it is and and from accor and also 
IHG is one of the strongest of the international players in China. Now, Accor has a presence, but it's it's not as good as IHG's. So that combination works, I think, very much for Accor. It gives it a global domination in in the segment which has been the the strongest in conventional hotels, which is in that economy and mid scale piece. Um, the what well, you you referenced in your opening remarks there chris about how um or alluded to how it was the 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 luxury and upscale bit which is really suffering and that's true because there's a, such a a loss of um international travelers uh, the portfolios of um ihg and accor are quite complementary and they will be you know that combined entity will be the world's biggest hotelier it will overtake Marriott in terms of room numbers um, interestingly unless the market cap goes up the combined market caps are still significantly smaller than than uh, Marriott so it'd be interesting to see the perception of these two companies as they come together and look like a, a, a an even more powerful version of Marriott um but I, I think the, the the critical piece that's that's driving this is is this need for scale, and that the need that there is in terms of um, uh, having some sort of digital presence, bringing together and taking on the OTAs, um, and to have scale at that in that game is is absolutely critical. And Accor has missed the boat when it came to its. Um, loyalty card scheme very much lagged the other three big players now um it's got barely over 50 million members and it's that's only after a really hard push in the last couple of years following the fairmont raffles acquisition um ihg comfortably over the 100 million members uh, mark and good exposure across the US um, where there there is that, that higher spender outbound market which is is critical for the the upscale and luxury properties which will come back I mean this is a three four five year time horizon but they that, that will come back and that will be a great opportunity now there's mixed mixed views on this um, in our piece in the print version um, I quote analysts at Bernstein and Richard Clark there he didn't like the look of the merger from if Accor is doing the acquisition they're saying look be more like Hilton grow organically because the M&A piece you end up um, typically um, not necessarily not not doing great it, it it's historically it's it's a very mixed and there's much higher risk from a shareholder perspective but I think my view is that neither IHG or Accor are big enough to be um, leadership players in the market now and you need to be a leadership player um, because I think it, it, it's getting to that point where you know you've you, you've got to be either one or two um, so what's going to be interesting out of this is you'll have number one Accor IHG you'll have number two Marriott there's going to be a lot of pressure on Hilton to do something well but we'll wait and see but I think there's going to be a lot of action over the next few years and as we keep saying um, regarding the pandemic it's not really changed everything what it has done has speeded up changes that are already ongoing and so we're seeing consolidation and will see consolidation which normally would take a decade perhaps will take place in the next year or two and do you think there will be more brands in the end because we've, we've seen Marriott haven't really dropped any or merged any have they no, I, I, I don't. Uh, no, I think it's a misconception about what the role of those brands um, 
is our I don't remember the right <laughs> verb there um um because what you know what what the brands are doing is reaching into sort of more nuanced areas of consumer demand and being more focused and if brands are going to be beyond sort of being well you know historically the industry has simply categorized itself on price point which is any brand marketeer will tell you is a you know very worst position to be in it's not what you should be doing differentiating simply based on price by definition that's a commoditization um, and that's how the industry has always historically sold itself it's finally woken up that it actually needs to do something different to that um, perhaps I would argue Starwood was the pioneer of the big chains in looking at that when it brought out W with much smaller rooms but charging premium luxury room rates um, you know and it, so demonstrating it can be done and owners love that of course and this is what brands have to deliver to the owners and they've got to put back in the box the OTAs um, and to be able to have you know to be able to demonstrate that actually that there is real value to signing up for these franchises um, which is where they're all pushing rather than the management piece um, so yes in in short I, th I think we're going to you know as, as I said on the outset we, we're going to have probably more brands but significantly fewer owners and quite a lot fewer owners i think where there are niche um, national and regional brands um in in europe for example they will be bought up and they will continue to be operated um but obviously they're under a, a more under a much bigger ownership company let's drill down a little bit more into some of the comments the uh, big uh, hotel brands and the CEOs made about what's going on in different parts of the world and the way the market is um, recovering in those parts of the world. Um, some quite encouraging noises were made about uh, the performance of hotels in China. Um, some interestingly nuanced differences in the way hotel brands have been performing in the Americas. Um, and uh, some quite positive, quite hopeful remarks uh, about the fact that leisure is going to carry on driving uh, improvement in hotel occupancy and revenues um, all the while as long as we wait for uh, business travel to return and looking further into the distance perhaps group to re return as well well it's a tough call isn't it for the the leaderships because they've got they've got to rally the troops they've got to keep everybody yeah. on board i think uh, you know in private conversations um i'm not saying i've um, been chatting to Arnie Sorensen, but in private conversations with senior people um, within the within the brand companies, it's quite clear that there is a realization about how grim this this situation is. I think the um, the company that put this across the best was Accor when it did its half year presentation. It talked about the world's worst GDP in forty years, the worst unemployment rate in forty years, the lowest inter travel international travel in thirty years. Um, this is global and. The, um, and you know they, they showed that international travelers went from 1.4 billion um to 400 million i mean it's incredible you look at these numbers just how grim and how bad it, it is um you know and even now we've got half more than half of the countries in the world with closed borders um and international travel is as again it's that upscale and luxury um sector segment which is um suffering the hardest without that and and it's going to take a long while to come back um morgan stanley did a survey they looked at corporate travel managers um they did this in early july and 
they were saying that even through um, 2021, um, 31% were not going to be travelling. So you're waiting until the end of next year before they they even open up their their you know credit cards or wallets to to start buying for for airlines air, uh, seats on airlines and and then you know for hotel rooms um so i mean um last week's issue of of, of the perspective we looked at um um airline routes and you know only we're only at a point where half of the routes which were open six months ago are now open i mean there's massive capacity come out and you simply aren't going to see a bounce back in that international global travel until that capacity comes back and that's going to take years and morgan stanley are talking about revpar taking to at least 2026 to return to 2019 levels that's that, that's an enormous enormously long downturn relative to what we've experienced in the past now it actually has taken three to four years to get to there um but it, it it's you know this notion of a recovery uh, you know and it, it you do feel like you're a doomster um constantly talking about this but it 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 just isn't here right now it you know it's not well i mean it, it's that dr mccoy quote from star trek it's a recovery gym but not as we know it it really is um it, it, it it's it's not a normal sort of recovery and it's going to take years and years um before we get back it's gonna come back i'm an absolute uh, believer in this we're not going to see perpetual zoom meetings people need to have face-to-face meetings as people start seeing their competitors have face-to-face meetings they'll have face-to-face meetings but it, it's going to take a long while because you know the cfos at the big professional services firms are looking at this thinking wow we've saved a massive amount on travel here um let we don't need to put that back and there's going to be a fight to get that back into the budgets and it and it's tough and it's going to be rem- Main very tough um and uh, I mean, the the perception with the um global hotel companies um is that yeah we're we, you know we're, we're going to start seeing a recovery now well they are seeing recovery from the absolute floor we've hit we've never gone as low as we've gone before um but it, it's still it's probably going to be till late into next year before people start making money again um and for the global hotel majors most of them and all of them actually have um enough liquidity to see them through this piece owners the bigger owners most of them are in a good position to to run through um for that for that stage to come through it's it's the mid-sized and smaller chains who are really going to go under i think over this next year or so and that's where you're going to see it but you know it's a you know even if we get a vaccine tomorrow it's going to take months and months and months for it to be distributed and be available so we're at least six months away from having you know even if it's tomorrow it's going to take six months to get to the point where we can actually start traveling normally again and even then there's going to be hesitancy and people are going to be jumpy and nervous about it but realistically you know the vaccine isn't going to be here till the end of the year at the earliest um and i mean i have a great deal of skepticism whether we'll even see it by then um so it's going to take 
you know well into 2021 at the earliest as you know even if you're super optimist before we start seeing any sort of return to normal i suspect it's going to be well into 2022 at least before we start seeing that and there is still out there um a failure to comprehend this um both from the you know from a uh, the supply side shock that the vaccines represented and i think what we're going to see over this autumn period is a gradual realization about how tough the economy piece is going to be um, um yeah is that well i enough think week, so Chris? yes yes that'll do nicely uh, don't don't uh, don't pick up anything sharp folks um so <laughs> on that happy note we'll say bye for now